0: You are listening to Gaining Christ Audio, a ministry designed to teach the absolute truth of God from the Bible to encourage you in your knowledge of God, as well as your confidence, satisfaction, and faithfulness in Him. Welcome and thank you for joining us. In this podcast, we will discuss the grace of God, specifically answering three questions. First, What is grace and how does it work? Secondly, what role does grace play in a person's salvation and walk with God? And thirdly, what are the byproducts of grace within a person emotionally throughout that individual's life? The topic of God's grace is extremely rich beautiful, and significant, as you may know. It is biblical, comprehensive, multifaceted, multilayered in its behavior and action, as we'll see in a moment. It is also controversial for some and exceedingly encouraging for others. And we would say it is crucial that we understand the grace of God and its power In our lives, if you are a believer in Christ, or if you're considering this, or even not, you understand the doctrine of God's grace. And I will do my best to clearly describe what is the grace of God, answering our three questions, beginning with, what is grace? We use this word quite a bit. I have a friend named Grace. In Hebrew, the Old Testament, the word chesed means loving kindness. In the New Testament, written in Greek, the word charis means grace or favor given. It's where we get the English word for charity, charis. You may have heard the word grace defined as the unmerited favor of God. That's a good definition. However, technically speaking, God's favor, his grace, is not unmerited. While certainly unmerited by the recipient, namely us, because we do not deserve it, the grace of God is merited, but by another, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, who is the merit for Our Salvation and the Grace, which gives it. More on that in a moment. You could say that grace is God's love in action, specifically directed towards a person. The exceeding generous loving kindness of God that is then directed or provided by God to an undeserving recipient. That's a fair to good, at least, definition of grace. It is a loving kindness of God, the favor of God, given, granted to someone like us who is undeserving of the grace and what it yields. So what role, question two, does grace play in a person's salvation and eternal life? Well, this is very interesting in the world. And I will admit that I think it was like 25 years ago before I was clueless on the answer. And I'm glad that I'm not now and I understand this word grace, which we all will learn more and more about because it is a deep, rich word, a treasure chest of God. But the grace of God, we would say, Necessarily and effectually permeates every aspect, layer, and step of a person's salvation, which we'll explain in a little more, more detail. It is God's grace that saves, God's grace provided salvation, God's loving kindness gives it, God's grace applies it. The merits of Jesus, God's grace does so much holds us and secures us, as the Bible will say. To be clear, though, it is not grace that saves a person. It is what grace causes a person to have that saves a person. Christ saves people. The role of grace, the loving kindness of God, is the action that triggers God to give all that is required to have salvation. But it's not grace on its own that saves. It is Christ who is the living grace of God for a person. Some would say, oh, you know, okay, I must be saved, and God has grace, so therefore I'm saved. Love wins. That's not grace. That's not what grace does. Grace is specific. It's not just this ambiguous, universal Claim of, of salvation to all because we're humans is specific and God gives it in His loving kindness. As God says, I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion, I will give mercy on to whom I will give mercy. It is my grace, it's not your effort, it's not your will, it's my grace. Again. I know many people really struggle with this. I was such a person. If you are, hear me out. We'll give detail in Scripture to the proof and the truth of God's grace and the myriad benefits that it yields. Salvation, eternal life, is absolutely a free gift from God. The whole package. There's nothing that we did to deserve it. We can't earn it. We can't cause it. We can't keep it. We can't get it. God gives it. 100% free, free grace. This will bring up the question about people who live before God accomplished what his grace promises and applied, namely the perfect life of Jesus and the crucifixion. For example, what about King David? Does he have God's grace? Does he have salvation and eternal life? If so, is there some route to Eternal life outside of the gracious merits of Christ given? Where's his grace? Well, King David has the same grace as you and me. It's just that God, in his loving grace, credited to David the future perfect life and crucifixion of Jesus to David before it was accomplished. Just like with us. 2,000 years later today, God was treating Jesus as if he lived our life on a cross 2,000 years before we ever lived or did any of the sin he paid for. It's all Christ Jesus, and it's all God's grace. And it's all the infinite wonder of God's sovereign grace. Well, let's take a deeper look at God's grace and its extreme power. Just practically look at the power according to the Bible upon a person in salvation because it is God's grace that saves you if you're saved or get saved. It is God's grace completely. Romans six twenty three, the wages of sin is death, Paul writes, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 3, verse 23 and 4, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, although we were dead in our sins and couldn't please God and were Separated from God, but God being rich in mercy, Paul writes, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace, caris, you have been saved, the loving kindness and favor of God. Just like Paul telling his friend Titus, it wasn't our good works that saved us. But it was God's mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom God poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And the faith that one needs and is required in Christ to have Christ, this faith, this precious trust that yields Christ's entry into our life and all the merits is of itself a gift of God's grace, as Paul clearly mentions in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. And before Paul was writing any scripture in the New Testament or anyone, Jesus was speaking about grace when he says, I give eternal life to whomever I'm pleased to give it. I give my sheep eternal life. They will never perish. They will never be snatched out of my hand. It's my grace. My grace does this. John 10, 27. The grace of God is comprehensive. The grace of God is supernatural. The loving kindness of God permeates every moment, aspect, and layer of our salvation. 100% God's loving kindness and mercy. When you think of grace, you could think of receiving something wonderful you do not deserve. When you think of the word mercy, which is part of grace, it's not receiving that which we do deserve. We deserve God's judgment and penalty for our sin. God in his mercy forgives us by punishing his own son for what we did. That's merciful and in his loving grace, giving us credit for what Christ did and all the merits of his one-time sacrifice so that we would have eternal life in the kingdom of heaven forever. That is grace. And the grace of God does not stop at our salvation. It continues, as Paul says. Some people think that, okay, we've been saved. Okay, you say you believe in Jesus. Well, let's go out and do some sin, whatever we want, because it doesn't matter because they're paid for. Well, in a way that's true, because if you did, you still save, but the heart of the person doesn't think that way because grace changes the heart as God promised he would do. Even in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31, the new covenant, Ezekiel 36, a promise of the new heart and the spirit that would cause people to walk in holy lives and honor to God. Just like Paul said to Titus, Chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live upright and godly lives in the present age. See, the grace of God, the favor of God that saves us continues to work to make us more and more like Christ. That's his promise. Peter writes that, 2 Peter, verse 1 Chapter 1, verse 3, God's divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Paul says that believers, Philippians 2, 12, live out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. You're a new creation in Christ. You've been born again. We're not robots. We're involved in the process, we participate, we're actually motivated emotionally too, but it's God's grace that provides the results, even trains us in the knowledge of God so that we can help others hear the truth. And it gives us the the power to live freely for God in a holy life, away from the bondage of legalism, which is not even the gospel, where you think that your good works either cause you to be saved or keep you saved or in the favor of God. That's not true. You're free from all that. You're saved by God. You're his son. You're his daughter. Go live accordingly by my power and work in your heart. Praise the Lord. And it's God's grace, the power of God's grace, that secures us in our salvation. It not only causes it and sanctifies us, but it secures us. As we said in our last podcast, using the Bible, you, if you have eternal life, you 100% have eternal life. You will be in heaven. If you're truly born again, that's God's promise. And he gives the Holy Spirit to seal you for eternal life by his grace. Praise the Lord. And the grace of God is a power that enables you to then even do ministry. Because as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, Verse 7, for example, it's the grace of God through Christ who apportions your spiritual gifts. So whatever spiritual gifts you have as a believer or will have if you become a believer were given specifically by Christ to you. They're unique to you. They may overlap with some of your friends, but they're unique to you. And the power for you to execute these gifts come from the Holy Spirit who's been graciously given to you by God to seal you for redemption and empower your gifts in faithful ministry for God's honor in his mission in this world. Praise the Lord. But the grace of God, which is so paramount and crucial and comprehensive in a person's salvation, works beautiful benefits in a person throughout their life, within a person emotionally, psychologically, and even behaviorally, when a person knows the grace of God. You can be saved by God's grace and not realize that it was God's grace that saved you. I was such a person. But when for a while, fortunately by God's grace, I'm no longer that person because I know the grace of God. Not as much as I want to and will in a year and can learn, and we're learning more, but we understand that when you understand, embrace, and enjoy and know the grace of God, it has extreme benefits and impacts in your life. And we want to emphasize five of the the obvious impacts in a person's life carefully and quickly to encourage you in the truth of God's grace from the Bible. That's why we say we want to encourage you in the knowledge of God and his absolute truth from the Bible. It's the Bible truth, the doctrine of grace is truth. And point number one here, knowing God's grace yields extreme peace, joy, and contentment within a person's heart. Truly. It is beautiful. Peace. You have peace in your heart because foundationally you have peace with God. Isaiah 53, 5, the punishment that brought us peace with God was on Christ. He's the Prince of Peace. You have peace with God. You live in peace. You're not walking any longer on the legalistic works message, faulty message of God. Your good works save you, or your good works hold you. Eggshells of untruth. You're walking in the grace of God because you know that you're secure, and you know it was not your decision and your intellect that brought you to to Christ. As I once thought, it's God's grace, and you know that his grace secures you, so you have peace, not only literally with God, but emotionally in your heart. You know that you were not worthy, but God in his grace has literally made you worthy forever because it's Christ and his worthiness that is your now worthiness. And you're not in and out of favor with God based on your performance or lack thereof as legalism and faulty doctrines teach. And you have contentment because you know it was God's will and his grace and his timing that saved you so you know it's his grace that will give you and provide for you for whatever you need. God's grace provides what we need. That's what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Jesus is emphasizing this in Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount. Don't worry about your life. God's grace will provide. He even cares about the birds. He cares about you. Paul, who went through horrible experiences as a preacher, 2 Corinthians 11, read the detail. He, He talks about how he was even given a demon to keep him humble because he was given incredible insights into heaven by God, and he pleaded with God to take this miserable creature or whatever demon away from him, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, which it is. The grace of God is sufficient for our lives. In extremely fun and exciting moments, of course, but even in the worst, God's grace will carry us through. We know this if we know grace. It's not on our shoulders. How beautiful is that? We're not, our emotions are not determined by our circumstances or the world's standards or what they expect, which cripple many people, even believers, but our contentment our, our peace, our hope is emotionally what God and his grace has done for us in Christ and who we are as his son as a result and what God's grace has promised us and what it provides for us. And what God's gracious will determines for our lives and even, even the difficult times are used for some good purpose, and knowing God's grace knows how God is woven in working through every situation for our best. My friend, I know there's some of you listening, at least to some of our messages, in very difficult places in the world, and you're trying to preach the gospel. I know this for a fact, and it's very, very difficult, lonely, and discouraging at times. My friend, please do not let your difficult circumstances lead you to think that God's favor is not upon you. It is your His. Think what Jesus went through. Sometimes God uses the darkest days to do the most powerful work in a person's life. Praise the Lord. And the joy, the joy of salvation We've been rescued out of darkness, transferred into the sun. We know it was God's will and his choice and his pleasure to give us to each individual person. And that he wanted you with him. How, I mean, we should be ecstatic. Yeah, there's real pain and disappointment in this world, but it doesn't determine or override the true foundational joy. David says in Psalm 16, verse 8, my whole being rejoices because of the grace of God. And what he has done for me in heaven awaits in eternal pleasures forever at the right hand of God. I'm crying. <laughs> This is out of happiness, not sadness even James says that our diffi- most difficult moments should be responded with joy because we know God's graciously working. And knowing God's grace also motivates us to live more God-honoring lives. This is true. How so? Well, we know that it is God, whose loving kindness rebirth us, and God made us alive in Christ and gave us faith and gave us everything that Christ has accomplished and we're secure and set, then emotionally, psychologically speaking, uh, you want to give back to God with a holy life and you want your life to be more devoted to the gracious God who graciously saved your soul. There's nothing more motivational in my life and the reason I'm here in St. Louis doing this versus what I used to do in Houston, which was not bad necessarily, but very different than this, it was God's God's will. But me understanding the 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 beautiful grace of God was the mo- is the most motivating truth I've ever I've ever known. It 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 uh, it makes people want to serve the Lord and very unusual, difficult circumstances that some of you are doing now. And it makes you want to serve for his honor and his glory. Not that uh, self-serving ministry work for your recognition and approval. God works that out. It's for him. You're not serving to earn points with God. Jesus is all of your points with God. You're serving because you love God and you're motivated and knowing grace makes us more dependent on God and trusting of him that's for sure for starters it humbles us in a good way because you realize it's not your super wisdom and your decision and and you being so great and admirable and God's going wow let's let's save him he's wonderful it it doesn't work that way I once thought it did i thought i was better than my friends because i believed in jesus and i was you know, doing things in the world that were somewhat successful, and I also had eternal life too, and I, I thought that I was so great for thinking that and believing that when I learned, no, God is the one that saved me and gave me the faith that gave me salvation before some of my friends, But, and then it humbles you, and you're like, wow, and then because of the humility, which is good because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, Peter and James both right, then then, then you're free from all that legalistic, um, self-centered, uh, self-righteousness, and and uh, that 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 generates and provokes pride. That's what it does. You know, if if you think it's free will and your will and you choose and it's your it's your decision, not God's, well then it just fosters pride and and further problems in your walk. Grace is freeing. Um, it'll make you depend on God, which is paramount because it is his power and will that does things and you will trust in in the Lord. So when you read things in Proverbs chapter three, verse five, for example, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You can say, yes, that's true. And so while I'm not sure what's going to happen here. Like Paul's, Paul says, well, God tells me troubles await, but I trust him. You can do it because you understand the grace of God and God's provision. You'll pray more, too. You'll pray more for God's power and grace instead of relying on your own wisdom and business strategies to carry out ministry, which brings us to our fourth point. Knowing grace Definitely yields more faithfulness in ministry. It's true, it does. Actually, not only more faithfulness, but compassion and power in ministry. More faithfulness, how so? Well, because when you know God's grace, you know the truth of God, and we're called to preach and teach the truth of God. So the more you know about grace, the more you know about truth, so you will preach the truth. If you're a preacher, a teacher, an evangelist of truth—that's your calling. The truth. If you know grace, you know the truth. If you know grace, you know more of God. If you know the truth, you preach more truth, which honors God and truly loves others, and and, and it 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 works. You will be more faithful. And as a result of real, knowing God's grace, you'll rely on God instead of your own mechanics and wisdom, strategies and rhetoric and methodologies and entertainment, some of which is there to manipulate, which happens in churches all across the world, especially in the United States. These, these entertainment shows to, to, to motivate emotionally people to make some decision, which according to statistics, 90% of the time are not even really salvational decisions. But they're told they are. You can preach the truth faithfully, and you can serve faithfully, like Paul, for example, who told the Ephesian the elders in Ephesus in Acts twenty when he was saying, "I got to leave. I've been here three years. I'm gonna miss you, night and day. I've taught you, and I'm going to Jerusalem, and trouble awaits." And they're all upset. And he says, "I did not hesitate to teach you the whole counsel of God." He didn't hesitate because that's their best, and that's the truth of God, and he wants to be faithful. He even says, I don't consider my life of any value, Acts 20, verse 24, or precious to myself in order that I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You see, you don't have to use these half-truth, man-centered, psychological, manipulating messages, rhetoric, and offerings of money, or your 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 best most happy life now, as if that's even the gospel, which I'll say this: if your best life is now, I don't say this out of hopefully rudeness, I say it out of love. If your best life is right now within well, you better enjoy it or repent soon and come to Christ because later it's going to be horrible because for the believer in Christ, the best life is later in the kingdom of heaven. It begins now, but it explodes in heaven. See, that's a false message from a false teacher offering prosperity as a means to come to Jesus. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make you rich. He died on the cross to give you salvation, redemption, and spiritual wealth. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. This is not earthly materialism. It is the heavenly treasures of God's wealth that await. us. That Jesus departed from temporarily and now resides in that is coming to those who, by God's grace, believe. Praise the Lord. Evangelism, the same thing. You will be more faithful in evangelism. You may not get as many names in your book because you got people to say some prayer, but you will truly share the gospel and God will do the work, and you know that because when you know grace, You don't have to use tactics to manipulate. Just speak the truth because it's about sin, redemption, salvation, and hope. Jesus taught on grace very clearly. If you know grace, you understand that Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, when he calls those original disciples to ministry, uses a very, very beautiful and interesting scenario when Peter, who was a professional fisherman with John and James and his brother Andrew, were fishing all night and caught nothing. As pros, Jesus shows up, says, hey, throw the net out one more time. They're like, ah, we just cleaned them off. There's nothing out here. We'll come tomorrow. But okay, Lord, since you say so, they throw the nets out. And what happens? They cut, they catch such a hole of fish. The nets are breaking. The boats are sinking. And Peter's like, oh my, I'm not even worthy. Lord, depart from me. He realizes The question is, and and it's clear, who made the fish swim in the net? What caused the fish to swim in the net? Well, the grace and power of God did. And that's a picture of evangelism. Just throw the net. Jesus is telling you, if you're an evangelist in America, in Scotland, in Malaysia, in Australia, Germany, Cambodia, wherever you are, just throw the net of truth. And the grace of God will make that fish swim. In. Jesus says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He told the truth about God's grace and lived it out. It also make you more compassionate. How so? Because you understand how what a dreadful state people are in. They can't save themselves. So you'll be faithful in the truth because. You can't manipulate a person into salvation, and you realize that it's not someone's worthiness that makes them savable because no one's worthy. It's not the most beautiful, successful, professional, and 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 wanted by this world that 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 makes a person more of a candidate for salvation. Look at the people God saves. The legalistic Pharisees who thought about world opinion and didn't care about the grace of God ridiculed Jesus for hanging out with sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, and people like me. But Jesus says, I'm hanging out with these people because I want to give them my grace. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Don't be a Pharisee in your heart, Luke 15. Be like Jesus. And realize that he saves all types of people, even those you may not want. And it's his power to do so. They're his sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter. They're not your sheep. Go feed my sheep if you love me. Praise the Lord. And he'll give you more power. Of course, the power is God and and his Holy Spirit. And the work that he does when the words go out. But also the power is in what you say because of the gospel's power. The gospel itself that you preach in your church or preach in a Bible study or evangelize or teach. And whatever you do, if you teach the truth of God's gospel and grace, that is power. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. For the Jew first, but also for the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And how to get it? As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The more we know of God's grace, the more we know of the gospel. The more we know of the gospel, the more power we have in what we preach and do and say in ministry. The gospel even is supernatural. Preach the truth, throw the net, throw the seeds, and let God's grace do his work. I mean, sadly, there's so many people that are so afraid or unable to teach the grace of God. Truly, just real quickly, why is this? If it's in the Bible so clearly, yes, there are a couple of passages at least that seem to conflict with the doctrine of grace. Timothy is one, 2 Peter is another, but if you understand the context and you understand exegetically what Paul is writing in the Greek then you will not come up with the conclusions people come up with and the misusings of Greek words and certain passages like John 3.16, for example, that confuse people. It fits together. It's not a mystery, as some people say. It is clear. Yes, God is mysterious and does, does things we do not understand, but His grace is clear. It's loud and clear in the Bible. It saturates the entire Scriptures. People do not know the truth so we must know the truth. The truth of God. They don't teach doctrine of grace because people don't know the truth yet. I was such a person. Know the truth or people trust in their own imaginations, preferences or wishings of what God should be like rather than what God says. <laughs> don't trust your imagination. Trust the word of God and what God says. He says it's his grace and mercy which saves, not your deservingness or your good works. He says that. It's his power. You must be born again. Or people do not teach the beautiful doctrine of grace, even if they know it, because they fear man more than God, truly. They're afraid of what people will think or how they react. They're afraid, more afraid of offending people than offending their Savior. If you think about it, it's true. It's offensive to not preach the truth of Jesus, especially if you know it because you're worried how someone will react. That's people-pleasing. Be a God-pleaser. Preach the truth. Knowing grace frees you from people-pleasing and legalism to truly please God. Please, if you're a preacher somewhere in this world or a teacher evangelist, preach the truth spread the truth of God's grace, the sheep of Jesus need it. They want it. They crave it. They may not understand it like me, but once they hear it and learn it, it changes their lives. It's so powerful, beautiful, and compelling and motivating. The world is desperate for the truth of God. Let's preach the truth of God. There's false teachers. Reason number four, teaching things that are not of God to deceive people. Preach the truth of God. Peter, who loved the Lord and was a preacher of truth, ends his first letter, stand firm in the true grace of God. He ends his second letter, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, knowing grace will definitely yield more gratitude and more enthusiastic worship of God in your life because you know that it's all God and you did nothing, and you can properly thank him for all that he does, all that he's done for your life, whether you're singing a song, praying by yourself, praying with friends, or just thinking and praising God. If you know God's grace, it will it will empower your gratitude and worship of God completely. Praise the Lord. Well, we could go on for hours, weeks, years, on the doctrine of grace. It is an inexhaustible, beautiful subject. But we hope that these few minutes here have been encouraging to you. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you have a great week. And please spread the truth of God.